2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: It's a drunken soiree in the within. Christmas joke present our core listing the podcast <laughs> chris let's tell everyone about our brand new sponsor
3: yes new sponsor
1: alert egg fried brand new clothing brand from our very own home county of essex if you're into street art comic books kind of alternative lifestyle kind of gigs watching cool films crazy art throwing a kind of little bit of asian culture and a a slightly warped sense of humour and then you kind of get where they're going with egg fried, right? What do they make?
3: They make punchy graphic tees, hoodies, sweatshirts, wicked art prints, as well as a denim range that's handmade in-house, which I think is really cool because it supports that slow fashion movement. It's domestically made stuff and it lasts a long time and that's really where we're going now. We shouldn't be buying a load of throwaway stuff.
1: Absolutely. And they're supporting your wallets as well. And let me tell you how they're doing that. If you go over to EggFried.com, go and buy some of their amazing garments, throw them in your uh, basket. Before you check out, they have given you lovely listeners an exclusive 10% discount code, and that discount code is egg salad. double Put that in, save yourself 10%. And, and if you're not even up for spending money on yourselves, who else can they spend their money on, Chris?
3: They have a kids' range called Small Fried. Very cute, very cool, and
4: that's also available
1: at eggfried.com. Official sponsors of Hardcore Listing.
4: It's an Irish coffee, boys.
1: (laughs) Takes the edge off. Well, um, that voice you can hear is obviously today's guest, Matt Stocks. Before we get on to Matt's top five, we should also just say hello and welcome to Hardcore Steam Podcast, uh, I'm Stuart Roy Whiffin. I'm the better half of your pre- your presenting duo, and whoa, sitting, whoa,
3: oh, whoa! When was that agreed?
1: Uh,
3: was that? We haven't done a poll on that, have we?
1: I reckon if we went on Family Fortunes <laughs> and Vernon threw that at, yeah. I would clear up, mate.
3: I think you would. I think I've uh, I, I, I've alienated myself from my own listenership <laughs> from being horrible <laughs> to everyone regularly.
1: Well, let's just do some shout outs to our sponsors. Um, firstly, uh, if you're a Patreon on the uh, $15 subscription, you will see this amazing cap I'm wearing today. Uh, that's from Egg Fried. Uh, not only do they do caps, they do hoodies, sweats, tees, and bespoke handmade denim, uh, which is amazing. And you can save money by going over to eggfried.com. If you like your streetwear and stuff like that, head over there uh, and use the discount code EGGSALAD, and you will save money. What other sponsors have we got, Glasson?
3: We've got Love Beer, lovebeer.co.uk. Charles from Love Beer has been a long-time sponsor. Is about to bring out or has just released a winter warmer set of alcoholic beverage goodness for Christmas. So get over to love-beer.co.uk and have a look at the winter warmer set. Um, if you've been a long-time listener, you've probably got stuck in and had some of his previous editions that he sent out over the over the months. Uh, it's definitely worth uh, checking out, and we're sure you guys will. So enjoy that. And our last sponsor,
1: Stewie. Uh, Bang Boom Creative. Uh, if you need video production, if you need photography, uh, if you need somebody to set up some CCTV uh, so you can... Uh, take um, illegal photographs of Chris going in and out of ladies' toilets uh, in nightclubs, pubs and bars. Uh, hit him up that's and uh, he will uh, ensure he's very discreet uh, and he will take uh, that kind of level of photographs for you. Um, okay, no, that's, uh, I mean that was a little bit mis- uh, misleading there. Um, you Absolutely. Know, this We're is speaking. the first time... I work,
3: I work with <laughs> charities for fuck's sake. <laughs>
1: oh wonderful Um, yeah so massive love to our free sponsors uh, for for being behind Hardcore Listing for a long time now so thank you very much Uh, big shout out to our producer 76 for polishing the turd that is Hardcore Listing thank you very very much and if you're not a Patreon yet then we're going to do a quick plug for that because um, we're putting out some amazing stuff over there and we're going to announce some more news regarding the Patreon page very soon so um, it's very much in your interest to get uh, involved in that from as little as I don't know what it is. Uh, it's about pound fifty a Whatever. week or something. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you get another episode um, each mm. week over there. And that episode's generally a little bit more uh, raucous. Um, mm. bit and, more blue. Yeah. You also get like uh, some radio shows. You also get the video episodes of everything. So there's plenty over there. And you've got access to about another 200 shows that have never been put out to the masses. And you can also go and watch the videos to The uh, only place you can watch the Distraction Pieces drunk cast videos with Chris, me, Brett Goldstein, Romesh Ranganathan, and and Scroobius Pip. And I think, is the Rich Wilson and Jade Adams one up over there as well? Yes, it is,
3: mate. Yeah, Yeah. it is.
1: Uh, So you can go and watch all of them, and there's a lot of hilarity involved in them. Anyway, back to business. Joining us today... Plugged the shit out of that, didn't we? We did. Joining us today is a uh, fellow podcaster, uh, radio presenter, uh, nice nice egg, uh, and uh, author. Author. Matt Stocks.
4: What's up, fellas? Mm-hmm. Well, listen, before we get to me, I want to give your sponsor a plug, right? And to be talking to eggs, because I just woke up this morning to the beautiful image of you two in the cartoon style with your green and red tracksuits and it says uh, egg fried cautiously sponsors <laughs> hardcore listing and i love that i love the image i love the caption i thought everything about it just taps into what you guys do so well so they're not my sponsors but i'm going to big them up too <laughs> oh, lovely
1: thanks, lovely
4: well how you been Um, I've been good. Yeah, I've been, I've been up and down as I'm sure everybody has this year and it's been trying and it's been difficult uh, and it's been lean financially because most of my income comes from DJing and touring and live Q and A's and, you know, just live events in general. So with the removal of all of that, it's been quite hard to exist financially, but in myself, my spirits are good. They're upbeat. Um, I've had a really positive, productive time with the book, both with the creating of it and now with the, the promoting of it and talking about it. So I've had something really cool to focus my energy on, and that really helps lift my spirits and keep me you know, optimistic and upbeat and on the right track. So I've definitely been better, but things could also be way worse, and I'm, I'm grateful for the position that I'm in, and, and life is okay. Wonderful
3: yeah it's, it, it's, it's absolutely brutal for creatives, and I, I I do love stalking you Matt like on Facebook and that and because you, you, you it's, it, you're an inspiration mate when I see what you do with your career and um, your zest for life and getting stuck into to um, all the things that you do and all the artists that you go and interview it's fucking amazing man it really is and and I, did, I do feel more keenly for, for anyone whose income is based. Offer of these sort of these sort of subjects at the moment, it's it's fucking difficult, dude. So, yeah, um, yeah. Even Stu losing the nightclubs and that, it's, it's it's not it's not a good time. It's a very rough time to be around. Did that? Is that what inspired? When when did you start to think about doing doing the book?
4: Was it, it during lockdown? Um, yeah, the story behind the book deal is is a story in and of itself. Yeah. So on March the tenth, which was the day before my birthday. Mm-hmm. I got an email completely out of the blue from this guy called Tyson Cornell, who runs this publishing house in Los Angeles called Rare Bird. And they're an amazing independent publishing house. They've put out books by Sean Penn, who, as you know, wow. is along with Mickey wow. Rourke, my favorite yeah. actor of all time. So I'm now a label mate with my hero. Um, Chuck Palahniuk, who wrote Fight no, Club. Well, they've done I, stuff with him. Loads of great. Really? Yeah, yeah he's on there. So I'm, I'm buddied up with them as well. Wow. And um, it's just an incredible roster of artists and musicians and, and writers. And he, he messaged me out of the blue and he said, hi, Matt, I'm in London. I was meant to be here on this literary conference week, but all of these meetings have been pulled because of COVID. So I'm basically here in town trying to make use of my time and meet up with people that I thought might be good to network with and, and get to know. So would you like to meet up? tomorrow. And I was like, well, tomorrow's my birthday. But yeah, all right. And in my head, I'm thinking, if I meet this guy on my birthday, he's going to buy me at least a drink, probably some lunch as well. So I'm like, what a great way to start the birthday, exactly. off free meal, a little bit of a hang. And so I went down to, um, I can't remember exactly where in London it was, but it was down the road from the Royal Albert Hall, because we were both coincidentally off to see Brian Ferry that night, which turned out to be my last gig of Aww. the year. I didn't know it at the time. Um, So I went and met this guy. And it was funny because I had a WhatsApp group with all my like guy friends because we were going to go to Brighton that weekend, which we did do because it was just before lockdown came in to celebrate my birthday. So we'd hired out this apartment on the seafront. We're going to go get pissed. And I sent a message to all the guys in that group because obviously they had been messaging me in the morning saying happy birthday. I text them all and I said, lads, I'm just, you know, I'm off to get a book deal. And I didn't think that that was going to happen at all. But I just thought, I'll I'll will it out there into the world. And maybe if I send out that, you know, that prayer, then it might get answered. And so they're all like, oh, wicked. What the fuck? So I rolled up to this meeting. And within five minutes, the guy was like, I heard your show through Keith Buckley, who's a singer in a band called Every Time I Die. He'd been a guest on the show and he'd done two books with Rare Birds. So this guy had listened to the, my podcast with Keith because we'd been talking about the books. He discovered the show through that episode. He then apparently went back and listened to about 50 before meeting me and reaching out and had become a huge fan of the show, loved what I did. And he basically, within five minutes of me sat down said, how would you like to, to write a book with us and turn your show into a book, and maybe even a series of books? We'd be really keen to work Amazing. with you? And I was like, oh, fucking hell yeah. All right. And then, bang, the week next, the week later, we're in full national lockdown. So I followed up on the the conversation because I thought well, I might have just been, you know, hot airing. And so I said, "Were you genuine with with that offer? Were you sincere? If so, I'll get to work right now because what else am I going to do?" And he was like, "Yeah, 100%. Send me some transcripts of a few interviews just so we can get a bit of a, a flavor for how you'll present it." And so I turned my phone off. I went into my basement in my old London flat for two weeks straight transcribed about 15 or so interviews sent all those over and he was like brilliant let's sign the contract we're off so we signed it and then i just spent that first three month intensive lockdown period creating this thing and and the rest as they say is history so it's pretty wild isn't it how it came around exactly the right time as well
3: on that sort of book on that sort of publisher as well and you're a massive fan of people like hunter s thompson and and that did you feel like when you were down in your basement writing it, how did that go? How was your process going of, of putting that down? Was it? Did you have like a set routine? Not, I'm not saying like Hunter S. Thompson sort of like routine that we've all seen famously published.
4: It was. It was. It wasn't too dissimilar. from that. You know, you know me too well, Chris. <laughs> I
3: just figured I'll so... do that, mate. I, like if, if, seeing you and following your career, it, you know, thinking that you get a book deal, is just like it sets the mind mind afire of what you would do with it. That's amazing, man.
4: That's, I mean, that's kind of exactly what I did, minus the, you know, the adrenochrome <laughs> and, and, and things like that. But I was definitely down in the basement with a big old bottle of scotch and that would be breakfast, lunch, dinner. Oh, wow. um, and I, I really did immerse myself in that crazy writer role, um, you know, because the background context of the world at that time was so crazy as well. You know, that in that peak three month period, not, nobody had experienced anything like that in their life. So it's such a surreal time to be alive anyway. And then here was this incredible project just presented to me from out of nowhere. And so I really lost myself in the whole process. And indeed, I probably ran towards the flame in regards to that kind of hunter-esque mythology and, and embraced it. And yeah, I, I definitely had a few substances and liquids fueling the fire. <laughs>
3: Man, that sounds like an absolute blast, which actually is quite nice. Cause it's like- right,
4: right drunk, edit sober though, is what they say. And I, I'm, I'm here to agree with that.
1: And I'm, I'm for... For people that are, are, are unaware um, of, of what the
4: book is, do you, do you want to give people a bit of an insight as to, to what it the is? The
3: title. The title's incredible. <clears throat>
4: Uh, Well, so the thing with the title is, and I I hope you notice this and this is why you're intrigued, is um, it's called Life in the Stocks, which is the name of my podcast. And maybe we can backtrack to that in a bit and, you know, fill in some gaps there if people aren't familiar. But Life in the Stocks is the main title. And then the subtitle is Voracious Conversations with Musicians and Creatives. And that title came to me. I was transcribing one of the interviews, which is in the book, with uh, a lady called Mina Caputo, who's the singer in a band called Life of Agony. Used to be Keith Caputo, now Mina. So she's transgender and has made the transition. And she kept repeatedly using this word voracious in the interview. She's like, I'm a voracious reader. I'm a voracious reader. And I was like, voracious is such a captivating, evocative word. Yeah. I think it was because the way she was saying it as well in her potent New York accent. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to try and include that in the title somewhere. But what I did is as I was transcribing her interviews. I spelt voracious with an E. And anybody who knows uh, English language knows that voracious is spelt with an O. But I was spelling it with an E because of the way she was saying it, voracious, voracious. So I thought, oh, it's, it sounds like it's with an E, but it doesn't look right. I'm sure that's got an O, but it's not coming up as incorrect on my you know, word document. The spell check thing hasn't set it off. So I Google voracious with an E and voracious with an E is a word, but it's a legal term. And it applies to the pursuit of truth. It's about trying to seek out the purest form of truth. And so I thought, well, how cool would it be to reappropriate this legal term in a rock and roll context? Because I think for me, and hopefully for anybody that's heard my show, the, the mantra of, of what I do is to get to the heart and soul and the truth of these guests' lives and who they are as people. And so I thought it's a nice, obviously doth of the cap to the word voracious and being a voracious reader and all of that but it's also taking this legal term and reappropriating it in a you know a crazy rock and roll context so that is why the title is spelt with an e and it isn't misspelled but it is i guess a happy accident that worked out really well and then the book itself is a collection of uh interviews from the first 12 to 16 months of the podcast so i went back to the start episode one steve and the way it worked is I thought, let's focus all the guests down so they're just American or Canadian. So it isn't too schizophrenic, and I'm not going from Gene Simmons to Gail Porter to, to Doug Stanhope to Ralph Steadman to James Lavelle to Johnny Rotten to Tom Morello, and it's all over the place. So I thought if I just make it American and Canadian, then that focalizes the the demographic who are going to buy this thing a bit more. And so I started with episode one and just worked my way through transcribing all the American and Canadian interviews and then I got to around episode 60 and I pulled out 35 of those 60 and each transcription was about two to three thousand words so in total I was looking at about 70,000 and I knew there'd be about 10,000 with my intros to each chapter so let's stop there so I capped it at 35 guests uh, and in that guest pool you've got Stephen Van Zandt, Nick Oliveri, Doug Stanhope, Kyle Gass, uh, Steve-O, Tom Green, Laura Jane Grace Loads of great musicians, actors and comedians, all from America, all from Canada. And then each chapter is divided into topics and subjects. So there's things like uh, sobriety, well, drugs and alcohol, politics and religion, creative partnerships, childhood, punk rock, life and death and, uh, and a few others. And then it basically just cuts back and forth between the guests talking about those subjects, almost like it's a roundtable read. And they've just plonked like a title card in the middle. All right, now we're going to talk about childhood. And it kind of just goes round, and and everybody shares their thoughts. And so hopefully it tells a story and takes the reader on a journey. And it makes it more interesting than just reading, you know, pages and pages of transcripts of interviews. Because why do that? You know, you can just go here. Exactly. There's no real editing process
3: there. There's no, what you've done is you've added a, a useful and also creative sort of like, um, way to index the conversations that you've had so yeah that sounds fascinating man to do that um I just want to pull you back to the bit where you pointed out how voracious was spelt thinking that either Stu or myself would have noticed that in any way shape (laughs) or form
4: (laughs) I thought that's why you asked is because you know it's brilliant I
3: I, I, I thought I generally just love love because he said because of the emotive um i think the word voracious is incredible but i, I hadn't even know yeah. i hadn't even noticed the spelling of it but the pursuit of truth i well, think is go. a fantastic um, notion in itself something that i like to try and live by and i think that you do that within the rock and world world and get into the root of things is, and the heart of things is, is, is incredible.
0: flexibility is great that's why there's yoga flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too
3: I guess this ties on nicely to what your top five is today.
4: It does. And this was a tricky one because I don't want to blow my load, obviously. So if it's okay with you guys, what I'm going to do is do my top five that aren't my top five. Yeah, of course. If that makes sense. So my second tier top five, because we want people to go read the book and discover the true top five and and all the rest of it. Mm Um, and there's there 's so many amazing moments, and I can say that because they 're not my moments yeah. and that 's what that 's what 's been cool about this book is i 'm removed enough from it to know that what i 've <clears throat> excuse me that what i 've made is good because it 's the guess words and it 's their stories, and it 's really just my job to tie those together in a way that makes sense and has a thread. And, you know, all I really do is set up each chapter at the start with my thoughts and experiences in regards to each topic and then get out of there and let the guests shine, you know, which is basically what I do in the podcast as well, is kind of set the scene and then sit back and allow them to, you know, do their thing and express themselves and and all of that. So. I'm removed enough to read the thing and go, these stories are great. There's so much like there's kind of heartache in there. There's hilarity in there. There's shock value stuff. There's crazy stuff. There's thought provoking stuff. um, And there's some really cool moments. I'll give some honorable mentions perhaps towards the end as well. But if we start at number five, they're not long sections. I thought it might be cool if I just read it out rather than said it. Go for it, man. If, that, yeah, if that's not too embarrassing no, 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 no. and weird. <laughs> so in at five is Clem Burke from Blondie, the drummer in Blondie. He's also played with Ramones, Iggy Pop, Joan Jett, Bob Dylan, so many bands. Uh, and, and his appears towards the... Well, in fact, actually, this story didn't even appear in the book. This is how good the book is. My top five <laughs> stories, one, one of them isn't even in it because I... I just couldn't find a place within any of the chapters that this made sense. So I had to be brutal and take it out. But it's such an amazing little story. I thought it would be a cool one to share on your show. Um, So this isn't actually in the book, but this would be my top, top, my, my fifth in my top five countdown. So Clem Burke from Blondie says this. I first met Annie Lennox at a club called Planets in Burlington Arcade, London. That was funny in itself. It was a legendary place. Boy George was the DJ there. Lemmy was in the corner playing on the fruit machine. Phil Linnett from Thin Lizzy was hanging out at the bar. And Michael Jackson was sitting in a chair with a Band-Aid on his nose, probably from having plastic surgery that day. He was walking around the place saying that he was trying to copy Adam Ant. Then all of a sudden, this attractive blonde comes towards me, and it was Annie Lennox. We had a Sunday roast at her place the next day. One thing led to another, and the next thing I know, I'm on a plane going to Cologne to do a record with the Eurythmics. Wow! And that did make Isn't that the, the most mental yeah. scenario? That should be a, like a cartoon, a five-minute cartoon short film that night. All the characters in one place at one time, at that That's time. That's fucking off the chart. That's man. incredible. Isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of the greatest drummers ever.
4: Absolutely. Like, you know, you're only as good as your drummer, aren't you? And, and he keeps the beat in, in so many great bands. And he's got such a, a hard-hitting but rhythmic style. And, and he's, he's one of the coolest people I've ever met. And I think when you're you're a session drummer like that and you play in so many bands, you have to be the coolest motherfucker ever because you have to be able to get on with all these different characters and people and slot into all these different bands seamlessly And that's what he does. And he was just the coolest, sweetest guy. And it was it was a beautiful day that day because Debbie, Debbie, Harry and Chris Stein were in a a room next door to us doing a couple of interviews of their own. And when I came out with Clem at the end, Clem was like, oh, guys, this is Matt. We've just done a really great interview. And I'm, I'm sat there with them and they're going through Chris Stein's photography book, which had just come out. And they're like reliving all these moments together just between the three of them for their own private and personal enjoyment and I was I was stood there like should should I go or I was like no nah, no nah, I've got to hang around a bit so I sort of just hung around for a bit and they were like really smiley and it's one of the few moments because usually I've got no shame and I'm like can you sign this can we have a photo it was one of the few moments where I just sat back enjoyed the moment and then you know politely said goodbye and went on my way and it was it was a really cool moment to see those three that have been in a band together since 1975 are still the best of friends. It was beautiful. Real people. The, the relationship
1: between Debbie Harry and Chris Stein, I think, is one of the most beautiful stories in rock and roll. I just love that story. I just think it's incredible. I just think that, you know, from dating to, to you know, the illnesses that, you know, that plagued him throughout the 80s. And, you know, even when they weren't she together, just had his back, she had his she? back. And like, Yeah. And let's not overlook however ever-called Clem Burke looks, and he looks incredible in every photo you ever see a Blondie. Whatever era Blondie are going through, and, and they've had a couple of howling looks in the early 80s, he never looked anything other than slick as fuck. He's so cool, just mod, yeah. isn't it?
4: Just mod, 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 and <laughs> like stuck to what he knows and just rocks it for like four or five decades yeah. straight. And <laughs> it's funny because I, I've seen a few people this year have obviously stopped dyeing their hair. Johnny Knoxville was one. All these people that you didn't know were grey because they've been dyeing their hair for years. Obviously, you knew Clem was because you know the guy's like seventy and he's got jet black hair. But you see pictures of him now on Instagram and he's got his natural hair color like come through that's been one of the very few cool things about this year is, oh, fucking hell, Johnny Knoxville's like completely grey. And I guess I just made that call to just, you know, reveal it finally to the world and and just rock their natural look, as it were. And yeah, Clem's been showing off his sort of brownie grey, you know, organic natural hair for the last few weeks. And it's been amazing to see.
1: How did that come about? How did you end up finding yourself in a room with, you know, with, with Clem Burke?
4: Their publicity is done by uh, a company called Outside Organisation, and they look after Alice Cooper, who is, you know, he is one of my all-time favourite interviewees that I've ever interviewed. I've interviewed him, I think, five times at this stage over the years, but I've still not had him on the podcast. And every few months, I'll, you know, intermittently punish one of the guys who works there with... (laughs) You know, just constant requests via email. Please, can we get Alice? Please, can we get Alice? And he's always quite hesitant because Alice just does so little. And when he does do promo, it's, you know, it's five to ten minutes at the most, Alice Cooper was actually my first ever face to face interview. And he, he set the bar for how rock stars should yeah, behave completely. and treat people. He is the ultimate cool man. He is so fucking humble and, and radical and incredible. He's just the best guy. But, yeah, I've never managed to get him. But, you know, one day uh, this guy turned around and he's like, how about Clem Burke from Blondie as a consolation prize? I was like, well, if that's my consolation prize, I'll I take, take it. You. I'm more than happy with that. So, yeah, that was thanks to the guys at Outside Organisation. Wonderful, wonderful. What's in at number four, Matthew? Okey-doke. Number four is Joey Cape from Lagwagon, uh, who were one of those classic 90s-era fat records bands, Um, and around that time was when I was getting into punk rock, so they were definitely like a, a key early band for me. And Joey is just, again, a total sweetheart. I'd never met him before. And he was on tour in the UK a couple of years back with the the Side Project Covers band that a bunch of those guys have called Me First and the Gimme Gimmes, who are just one of the most fun live bands ever because they just do only covers. They all wear like, you know, wear the Hawaiian shirts or lounge suits. They all wear silly matching costumes. And they just do punk rock covers of like, you know, Cat Stevens and Elton John and all these amazing 60s and 70s singer-songwriter stuff. Uh, And Joey was playing guitar with them on that tour. And I went on their tour bus, had a chat with him. He was a bit hungover because he'd been on the whiskey the night before. And I mean, I imagine you boys have probably found this. When you interview people hungover, sometimes the interviews can be amazing because they're, they're guards down. And there's a sense of vulnerability there and they're not really overthinking what they're saying. I I know I'm like that when I've interviewed people hungover is there's this kind of looseness in the air. And he really was just totally at ease, totally relaxed. I think it was the first podcast he'd ever done. And we ended up we ended up speaking for about 90 minutes. And and this section that I'm going to read now is from the final chapter which is the outtakes chapter. And that's a chapter basically which contains stories which I thought deserved to be in the book but didn't quite fit in the other ones. And in hindsight, that Clem story should have perhaps been in this. But again, it was it's just that Clem story is so self-contained and gnarly I thought I'll just leave that out because it doesn't really go anywhere. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't really lead from anywhere. But this one is, um, there's quite a few segments of guests talking about parenthood and how being a father or a mother has changed and affected their lives for the better. And I wanted to include a bunch of those together. So this is a little section from Joey on parenthood in the outtakes chapter. So... I remember before we had our daughter, my wife and I talked a lot about Christmas. There's a lot of practical questions that you have when you're about to become a parent, but still haven't been hit by the reality truck and still have your ideals. We're both atheists and we both look at Christmas as kind of a consumer holiday. We also didn't want to lie to our child and say there's a Santa Claus when there isn't spoiler alert kids sorry (laughs) but the big problem is then you're immediately ostracizing that person and taking them out of what happens with all of their friends at christmas and there's the other side of it which is that christmas is a fun thing for a child to think about and look forward to we ended up doing it in the end but i maintained all along that i was an agnostic when it came to Santa because i knew when the jig was up i was going to be like what's up now who's the good parent here your mum? not so great (laughs) But the analogy there is that you have to let your kids enter the popular world. They have to be part of those things to help with their development as a human being. So I go, uh, how did she take the news when she found out that Santa wasn't real then? And Joey says, I'm the worst liar ever. And she point blank asked me as I was driving along one day. She said, Dad, is Santa Claus a person? Is he real? And we all know you can't lie. And I was like, I plead the fifth. You have to talk to your mother about this one. Matt, she sounds like a smart kid. Joey, she is. She's smarter than me, that's for sure. Luckily, I'd read somewhere about a month before that I was going to do this, though, that when you approach a child and you say that there's no Santa Claus, this is what you should do. You sit them down and you tell them, here's the deal. You've got to pick one of our neighbors, and we're going to go buy them a thoughtful gift and put it on their porch. But you never get to take credit for it. You can never tell them that it was you. They just get a nice gift at Christmas, and then that's what you do each year. So now you're a Santa, and there are many Santas out there. Me and your mum are Santas too. That is how it all works. And then I go, wow, I've never heard of that before. That's the magic of Christmas right there, Joey Cape. And it's just one of those stories that almost brought a tear to my eye as he was telling it. And when I was writing it up, it just made me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. Because, you know, this is a book which has stories about overdosing and mental health and suicide and gnarly stuff. And I wanted the light and the shade. And so I wanted to put in just this beautiful story about the magic of Christmas. And it's kind of fitting that we, you know, we're sat here talking as we're leading into the Christmas period. I'm not a father myself, but that story broke my heart. Uh, How does that beautiful. make you feel, Stu here? Oh, and
1: lovely, man. It's like, I mean, I, I, I need to go back and just question something about, you initially said something about father Christmas, not existing. I was like, yeah. Oh, nice oh, one, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you don't believe in father Christmas, it's fine to kind of, you know, do what he does. But, uh, I mean, we'll talk about this later, right? Like, I'm
4: a yeah, big, yeah, big... yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have a talk. It's been coming for a while. Right. <laughs> Chris looks confused now. He's like, "Are we role playing? <laughs> is he real? Is wh- what's, Where am I?" <laughs>
3: I know no, she's I mean slow.
1: But... It is, I mean that's a that's a beautiful approach to it, man. Like, uh, yeah, that's a yeah, Isn't it's it? really sweet. Like, I like that, and it is it is that kind of quandary of like, and it, and it's the point when your kids get to like, oh, I don't know, eleven or whatever, and like and there 's the kids in their school that are going like, "Yeah, all right. but they 're just at that teetering where like i mean he don 't exist, does he Do, does he <laughs> i
4: remember I remember when my mum had to tell me because somebody down my street had had told me, and i just couldn 't believe it, and I was like, mum, you 've got to tell me the truth now, is he real?" And she, you know, she had to break the news. And I remember being devastated. Oh, I was nice. like, it's all a sham. It's all a lie. And it's, it must be a really hard line to walk. As Joey outlines there, it's like you want your kid to be involved in the spirit of Christmas and, and believe in it the way all their friends do. But then you know in your heart that there's going to come a day when their heart is going to be broken when they find out the truth. And how do you approach that? Uh, and I just thought that story really is a metaphor for the magic of Christmas because it really is, is about... You know the giving and receiving of love and joy and and spreading that.
3: Giving is its own reward in of itself, and I don't think. And I think most kids, you, you you slowly learn that lesson. I think like and as an adult now, I love Christmas for the giving part. Right? Yeah, it's cool to get a present. I do like to eat and. And drink alcohol at Christmas, but I like I, I, predominantly. I like to think of getting a thoughtful gift for someone and them enjoying it, and to instil that into your kid as a way to sort of like leapfrog the situation of having to confront the the idea that Santa doesn't exist, and do it giving it in its its own sort of a, a new version of mysticism. There, it's like no, we're, this is what we're all doing actually.
1: Yeah, I get that. You know, you're right, just dragging
3: right. out the lie a little bit. Yeah, go on, Shane.
1: That's quite nice. All that <laughs> stuff you said. But like, fundamentally, I'm more about what I'm gonna get.
3: Well, we did. Well, before Matt came on, we did just do top five gifts we missed out on. My, my number two being I've got a Sega, a Sega Game Gear instead of a, instead of a Game Boy. So how ungrateful am I? That I've, <laughs> Livid. I have got a more expensive handheld console. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm, st- I'm still literally. As soon as this podcast is finished, I am going to go online and try and buy an Action Man Assault Tower. It's lit. I can't stop <laughs> thinking about it.
4: What was the big ones for you guys? We won't go off topic too much. But I remember for me, I always wanted Thunderbird Island because oh, I had God. all the Thunderbird, I had the, you know, the planes and the cars and the figures. And I, had, I had everything by the island. And I remember it was so expensive to buy. And it was around the time that Blue Peter would show you how to make, make it. it with, with paper yeah, mache. I, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make it. I want the real thing, and so I never got it. Ghostbusters as well. I had all the Ghostbusters, I had the car, but I never had, you know, the office, the, station, the, ghost, yeah. the Ghostbuster HQ. Did that HQ. have a lot of slime they... thing
1: in it as well?
4: Yep. I, I mean, remember. figures back in our day were incredible, man. Power Rangers, Turtles. Like, it was the golden age of action figures. Absolutely.
1: I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm 10 years
4: before this, but... Uh, but I... Yeah. Well, you would have had Action Man, the, the OG uh, action uh, uh, figure. I, I, I did.
1: The
3: 12-inch doll.
4: Like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Depending on what age you are when you get it, it could be bigger uh, than uh, you. I mean, <laughs> that
1: that is it. It was like for me the you know Star Wars and action force, and then obviously then He-Man happened, and all the figures become
4: bigger. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. That that Netflix show's good, yeah, isn't it? Really good. <inaudible> really good. Toys
3: that make really good. Absolutely awesome. Really good. So, should we let, let let's do your number three then, Matt?
4: What you got? All right, so. This is a bit of a wild card, and I stand by its inclusion just because it's – well, you can be the judge in a minute. But the guy is a guest called Joe Cardamone, who was the front man in a band called The Icarus Line, who had a brief moment in the sun. I guess they're in the vein of kind of the Dillinger escape plan, you know, very chaotic, angular, intense, heavy art, art rock. Incredible um, live. They were sin- incredible live. And I never saw them, but I saw Joe supporting Mark Lanigan on Mark's last UK tour. And Joe comes out, he comes out like a mixture between the man who fell to earth, David Bowie, that era, and Ryan Gosling from Drive. So he had the Ryan Gosling wow. kind of jacket on, man who fell to earth haircut and look, and he comes out. And this is a Mark Lannigan crowd. To bear in mind, it's kind of a, you know, I love Mark Lannigan. I think he's incredible. He's actually coming up on my show in a couple of weeks as a little plug there. But his audience now is a kind of a bit of a Radio 4 demographic, isn't it? I think we can safely say that that's kind of where he sits now. And Joe comes out and he's playing these crazy visuals and he's just got like EDM kind of electronica music playing and he just comes out looking like this and just starts going like stream of consciousness ranting about death and destruction and grief and it was one of just the heaviest most emotional gnarly powerful performances in the live context i've ever seen and i had an interview with him the next day and it was after the tour had finished and we went to the columbia hotel which is that famous rock and roll hotel where i think it's been the scene of many an after party over the years it's one of the last hotels you can still smoke in and Joe and I sat in his room. I'd never met him before. I didn't know too much about his story. I was just basically captivated by this live performance. And I happened to be at the show with his publicist. And I was like, fucking hell, can we, do you reckon we could set up a last-minute chat tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, he's got all day off before he leaves, so we can make that happen. So I went round to his hotel. We spent the day together. And it transpired that he'd lost his oldest and best friend and bandmate. A week before he'd gone out on this tour, his friend had, um, what's the word, conducted or not conducted, had, had got a spinal tumour. And he, oh, he, he had this right. spinal tumour and and it killed him. And then a week later, he went out on the road with Lanigan. And, and so he said every night he was basically grieving on stage for his friend and he was trying to work through these emotions. And it was honestly like if you've never heard my podcast and you're just looking for like the best example of what, what it what I think it is that I do... Uh, And what I think makes the show unique from other interview podcasts is go listen to the Joe Cardamone episode and just listen to how raw and vulnerable and exposed and honest he is. And the conversation is. And we talk about death in it a lot. Uh, He was also on the last ever tour that Scott Weiland did when he died. He was the support band on that tour. And that was the Icarus Lions last ever tour as a band. Um, So, you know, that whole chapter of his life has such a horrible dark cloud over it because his bandmate died. The last tour they ever did as a band was this Wyland tour. So it's this heavy, intense chat, right? But then peppered throughout it, are these beautiful moments again uh, and this is one i'd like to read now this is in the punk rock chapter and this is joe talking about his introduction to punk rock but it's just one of the most wild crazy beautiful little stories i've ever heard so here we go joe um my dad made starlix videos which were like musical training videos with famous people and he did one with flea from the red hot chili peppers uh matt what sort of time period are we talking joe it was around the mother's milk era so i'm sitting there all day watching flea play bass and i wasn't even a huge fan of the chilies but i was like wow this is crazy and he had this buddy with him the whole day and his buddy was in some scenes with him talking about playing songs with flea Since me and his friend were the only ones there that didn't really have anything to do for most of the day, we ended up in the green room together, just hanging out. Me, this little kid, and this older dude. And he asked me, have you ever heard a black flag? And then he started turning me on to all these bands. And I was a sponge, just like you are when you're a kid, taking it all in. Then a week later, the guy dies, and it turns out it was River Phoenix, I didn't even realize it at the time because I was just a kid and I only knew him from Stand By Me and he was an adult by that point. But when I saw it on the news, I made the connection and that made me want to investigate the music that he was talking about even more. So River Phoenix is the first person that told me about punk weird right and i didn't spend my whole life around famous people growing up that was just some chance occurrence and from there i asked my dad about punk he rented me the decline of the western civilization and that was my whole introduction to the la punk scene but that's where it all began in a green room with river fiend
3: fucking amazing how cool
4: is that jackson saves the moon The incredible new children's book from Darren Garwood and illustrator Carl Osborne is now available at www.jacksonsuperhero.com, Amazon, Waterstones, and all other major book outlets. Join Jackson in a quest to bring back the moonshine, meet aliens from another planet, and fly in a rocket ship across the galaxy. Jackson saves the moon. Other titles in the series include Jackson Saves an Owl and Jackson's Solution to Pollution. Live the adventure at www.jacksonsuperhero.com. It it gives me gives me tingles like thinking about that situation as a young kid. Like that is your light bulb moment when you discover this genre, which you know sets you on the path that you're going to be on then for the rest of your life, and is going to inform your musical DNA, your personality, your soul, your character, everything about you. And that's what that chapter's all about, really, is exploring how punk rock is a genre. Because there's no other genres in the book. I only dedicate one to punk because, for me, that's the genre that feeds into all the art and music and literature and cinema that I love. And it, it's really a huge part of who I am. And it was amazing, you know, going back and exploring all the people who've had similar relationships with that genre uh, and documenting all of it in one chapter in the book and going back and forth between everybody. And, and that, for me, is just like the most beautiful introduction to a, a form of music like i can't imagine a better introduction to punk unless it's like iggy pop like <laughs>
1: what would have been um your kind of light bulb moment an introduction to you know to to the punk attitude
4: it would have been i think we spoke about this on your off the beaten track podcast Stu. it would have been no effects for me uh, the live album by them i heard they suck live was just an absolute eureka moment because i'd i'd been familiar with you know Nirvana I think are a punk band to some extent I was obviously familiar with them because they were undeniably huge at that time Green Day Offspring obviously undeniably huge but there was something about No Effects which signalled the true side of of what punk is and and can be which is this form of expression which challenges authority and hypocrisy and it encourages individualism and and free thinking kind of art but also lifestyle uh, and it was just such a, a like a night and day moment and i talk about it in the introduction to the book i say it was like the wizard of oz like before i heard that album my life was black and white wow. and then bang i'm in technicolor and it was around the same sort of time that south park had just started as a show as well and i always liken the two because for me i discovered them at exactly the same time exactly the right age and what both of them did so well which i love is they exposed the hypocrisy in liberal and left-wing people as much as in conservative and right-wing so everything's fair game if you're a hypocrite you're being called out it doesn't matter if you're left or right and that really informed and continues to to this day my political thinking but also my sense of humor and outlook on the world and attitude and and everything really so no effects for me hands down with a with the the gateway drug if you were into all things punk and after i heard that i never looked back nice mate nice
3: couldn't agree with more with what you have just said there buddy Going back to the fact that uh, have you seen many documentaries uh, about River Phoenix and his life? To, to no, he, he led a f- his life is fascinating, um, and very
4: very hippie family weren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, tra- well, and still are travelled
3: a lot. Um, you know, and um, were in lots of com- communes and stuff like that as kids. And he, he was just such a pow- powerful individual in terms of like his creative force and his nature. to... You can completely understand how, you know, you could be sat in a green room with him as a as a as a young lad and that that influence just rub off on you. And then yeah, you know, i
4: mean, it's hard to imagine a better guide into that world, isn't yeah. it? Because you, you've only got to look at his younger brother, Joaquin. And I love that guy. I loved his Oscar acceptance speech for the Joker yeah, and basically brilliant. just used that opportunity mm-hmm. to say to the world that, you know I mean, I'm not a vegan, but I do flirt with it occasionally i do veganuary and i try to only be 100 percent vegetarian at home and i only tend to try and eat meat now when i'm out and about and it's a special occasion or whatever but i love that he used that opportunity to really kind of try and school and educate people on the ethics and the morals and the environmental implications of of meat eating and, and on the flip side to that, of veganism and plant-based diet as a as a lifestyle choice. And he got a lot of stick for that. And that was a brave thing to do, I thought, and a cool thing to do. And again, he's just such an artistic force. I re-watched Gladiator the other night for the first time in years. And he is just incredible. incredible in that. Yeah, he's- and he's so young in that. And he's so, and he, you know, Russell Crowe and him at that point in time, just like peak performances from two powerhouse actors. And you can only imagine the roles that Riverwood had gone on to have done you know he would have been he would have been DiCaprio level i think of like the greatest of his generation yeah, wouldn't he and it would have been so amazing to have seen him evolve in that way as an artist yeah, I completely a agree. sad loss uh, weirdly enough i was actually planning on having the launch party for this book in the viper room
0: Really? Which was, um, of
4: course, the the club that Johnny Depp used to own where River Phoenix OD'd out the front of it. Um, not for that reason, but I just my friend is the booker there and the, the rare bird office is down the roads and they have a strong relationship with the, Vi- uh, the Viper Room. And that was the original plan was if COVID wasn't, you know, still a thing by this point, I was going to get over there. We're going to have a rock and roll book launch show with a bunch of guests from the book, play some acoustic songs. I was going to interview a few people live on stage, a few DJ sets. It's going to be a proper night out and uh, an epic one to remember, but obviously that wasn't meant to be. So I'm doing a virtual stream now. Um, I'm going to be, you know, from the Viper Room to a virtual stream in Birmingham. It's not quite, it really isn't quite the same, is it? But um, if anybody's interested, on December the 15th, via birminghamstreams.co.uk. That is the website. Um, A friend of mine owns a studio in Birmingham and I'm going to be live streaming from there on the 15th at 7pm and Monique Powell from the band Save Ferris is going to be there with me because she's living in Birmingham now. Uh, She's going to be hosting the show with me, interviewing me about the book. She's going to be performing some cover songs by guests in the book and then I've got a bunch of special like video drop-in messages from guests and special special guests and, uh, and some other acoustic sets via the you know kind of form of of video so it's going to be a proper like multimedia variety show um, which won't be as good as the viper room but it's the best with what we've got so yeah if anybody wants to check that out that'll be free and uh, birminghamstreams.co.uk is the place Wonderful. we
3: will link all that when we put this out matt and um you know hopefully Thank you'll you see boys. Us there. that that sounds incredible and Stu's just gone what are you doing Shoe? you keep getting up are you turning on your radiator on and off <laughs> yeah he's having
4: sneaky yeah. shots
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is it, it's it's fucking freezing here so uh yeah i'm just sort of turning the heater on and then off again when it gets too warm so uh do oh, okay. so.
4: you have to do that do you? if you left it on it would just be unbearably yeah, hot it's with ridiculous. it
1: ridiculous but then obviously
4: you have to just do them naked.
1: Uh, you don't know. I've only, got, I've only got a jumper on. That's all I'm wearing.
4: <laughs> like the old news reporters yeah, back in the day. Mate. Tuxedo from the waist <laughs> up, pants from the
1: waist down. 100%. 100%. <laughs> uh, number two, Matt.
4: All right. We're getting down to it now. Um, I'll do two. And then before I do one, I will give a couple of honorary mentions yes, to ones which, which didn't quite make the cut but definitely deserve a tease. So the, the second from top is Be Real from Cypress Hill, Uh, and this is taken from the booze and drugs chapter, which is definitely one of my favorite chapters. It doesn't (laughs) glamorize any of that stuff, but what it does do is just unapologetically... And, and very candidly, just explain the situations that people have been in as a result of, you know, being on substances and the, the positive and negative effects that they can have. Um, and there's there's some again, there's some kind of heartbreaking, sad stuff in there and some truly entertaining, crazy, hilarious stuff as well. This story, you're going to love this one, Stu. So Be Real says this Cypress Hill and House of Pain played sh- uh, a Rewind. We'll start that again. Cypress Hill and House of Pain played a show together once in Humboldt County, which is a big place in California for marijuana and cannabis cultivation. Everybody was reeling about Humboldt County weed at the time, and we had the chance to play a show out there at the university, so we took it. After the concert, both bands were in a hotel room together and all our crew had one floor. It was Cypress Hill and House of Pain taking up an entire floor of this hotel where there might have been about six or seven other guests in the whole building as it's a very small town. And we all took magic mushrooms that night. This was the day before the L.A. riots and we were still high on mushrooms when we were driving back into Southern California. We saw all this black smoke in the sky as we were driving into the city, and we were like, holy fuck, this looks like the apocalypse. Obviously, the verdict for the officers who were on trial for the abuse of Rodney King was a not guilty, and the city just went crazy. But we were coming back from a crazy night in Humboldt County, and we had no idea. The city was burning, and we were still high on mushrooms, and we totally freaked out. Talk about a snap back to reality. Wow.
3: Fucking
1: hell, man. That's not the... That's a, Hev-
4: heavy business, That is a comedown,
0: right? Yeah. That, is, come
1: down, right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> that is the comedown of all comedowns. And uh, obviously, you know, that was a horrendous thing that happened. Yeah. So you don't want to make light right. of that. But you can certainly laugh at the absurdity of that situation and the insanity of that situation and that really is like talk about the fear yeah (laughs) that is the worst scenario to find yourself in when high on a psychedelic drug like i can't imagine anything worse Mm. than that
3: yeah thinking that your apocalypse has just taken off yeah (laughs) that is something else
4: and it would have legitimately looked like it yeah, was as well. Absolutely. It wouldn't have been like, oh, there's a dragon on the wall. Like, you know, we're not even actually tripping. Like, this is real. Are you but seeing what? that? What? We are tripping.
3: Are you <laughs> seeing that? Yeah, no, the city's burning. Yeah, it's, it's not the mushrooms. No, the uh,
4: world's ending. Oh, but <laughs> well, oh, well, at least we got to share it together, man. But yeah, just imagine that night in that hotel room as well. Cypress Hill, House of Pain, in the nineties, like when both bands were just running wild that, that... in this t- tiny little boutique hotel in a nice little sleepy, you know, kind of hippie-ish village. But Amazing. They were
3: probably Cypress Hill were my touch point for hip hop. That was it for me. Wow, absolutely, right on. And, um, and the thought of that, the fact that some now sometimes my friends have hung out or spoke to them, it blows my mind, Matt, to think that. Like
4: uh... I interviewed B-Real on my mum's birthday and I came down to London. In fact, maybe I was still living in London, but I interviewed him in London and then I was going back to Birmingham to take out my mum for dinner. For my... And I don't smoke weed because it makes me really paranoid. I call it Parajuana. <laughs> but in my head, I was like, I'm hanging out would be real. I've got to get a smoke oh, on with God. it. Oh God! But I thought no, a I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't because I'm then going to go back to Birmingham and be out for dinner with my mum, like freaking out. So I didn't do it, and I regretted it. So then the next time I interviewed Jazz Coleman from Killing Joke, and he had this weed pen, and it was pure THC, and he was like, "Do you want to hit on this?" And I was like, "Maybe after the interview, I'm not going to do it now." So we did the interview, and then uh, he was like you want to hit now then? I was like, okay. So I had this big hit. And then his manager comes in, this lovely girl, Carla. And she was like, whoa, she's Australian. She's like, whoa, Matt, don't fucking smoke that shit. She's like, that is so strong, it's gonna knock your fucking head off. And I was like, already halfway through my second drag, and I was like, oh my god, like just instantly high. And I was like, Jazz, this is like he was just smoking it like a you know a vape. I was like, dude, I'm battered. And she's like, we'll get, we'll get you down to the bar for a beer, Matt. Don't worry about it. So I'm just like having a beer trying to come down from this insane high. But yeah, on the B-Real occasion, I didn't. And I'm glad that I didn't because he talks about in another section in the booze and drugs chapter, he talks about getting Oliver Stone so stoned right. that he lost his keys. <laughs> and someone else had to drive him home and be real's like you know Oliver's been smoking since the 60s whatever but they didn't have the high grade uh, shit that we have yeah. now back then so and they were it was Damian Marley's studio that they were all in. He said Josh Stone was there. All these people were there. And he said he got Oliver Stone so stoned that he uh, he had a meltdown. He also talks about getting Bruce Willis stoned in the book as well. He said he's at a table at a restaurant and he's like, my friend Mark comes over. Marky Mark. And I'm like, oh yeah, Mark Wahlberg. He's like, yeah yeah, Marky Mark. And he's like, one of my buddies come over and partake with you, B. And I'm like, sure, bring him over. And he's like, and it turns out this friend was Bruce Willis. (laughs) So he's like, they're getting high with Mark Wahlberg and Bruce Willis. There's there's Loads of amazing stories like that, in the booze and drugs tra- chapter in particular, that you're just like, imagine being a fly on the wall for some of oh, these incredible. nights.
3: Oh, man. <laughs> but, but Bill Wheel is a complete hero, and I don't know if you know much about his youth or his dad and the stories about that. I don't, oh, actually, know. Go, go, no. go and research. His, his dad, um, I'm going to leave it because I think it's fun for you to check out, but his dad gets, okay. gets shot. Look into that story of how, what what happened when his dad gets shot because it's fucking mad. He's 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 lived a very crazy lifestyle. Be real. So how is yeah, that? A hero. How is that not your number one? We've still got an, another incredible one. But before that, you've got some honourable mentions. I
4: have got some honourable mentions. Yeah, I'm just going to list a few of them off because um, they're just they're standout moments that well they they stood out at the time when I did the interview. And then when it came time to listening back to the interviews, they, I'd forgotten about a lot of them, as you do, because you do in episodes every week and you're not living in that past moment. So you're constantly looking forward. And then you're reminded of these incredible stories that are either just harrowing or insightful or inspiring or hilarious. Um, there's an amazing section in the politics and religion chapter where Stephen Van Zandt from Springsteen's Band of Course and Silvio Dante from The Sopranos, he talks about the, the Sun City single, which he did with the United uh, artists united against apartheid and so he brought together basically all the biggest names in music in the 80s from hip-hop and rock and pop and did this single basically with the intention of trying to you know get apartheid over and done with and and get nelson mandela free and and do all this radical revolutionary work in you know south africa which was a place he'd visited a few times and he said on one trip there he was in a taxi and he said he wasn't really that politicised at this point. It was a light bulb moment for him which set it off. But he said he was in this taxi and this white driver saw a black guy about to cross the road and he purposefully veered the car into this black guy to try and run him over and essentially kill him like not fucking around and he was just going fucking kaffers fucking kaffers which is the african word for the m word and uh and steven van zandt was in the back of the car and he was like oh my god like and he said it was one of those moments where he's like i can't ignore what i've just seen there i've got to use my platform to do something to try and change this and address these systemic racist ills in, in in that society so that that's an incredible yeah. little story there's, there's a chapter, um, the life and death in the stocks chapter where there's a lot of people talking about loss and grief and death and, and things like this. And Nick Oliveri from Queens of the Stone Age, you, you know, he has a certain reputation yeah. as as a wild man and I think people have an opinion of him which isn't favorable. But, when I spoke to him, I learned a lot about his past, his childhood, and it made me understand more why he, he is the way he is. And we had a really beautiful chat. And he, he talks about when he was a kid, his dad got in a car because his dad was like a speed freak. And he drove off a cliff like purposefully and just, you know, killed himself, Thelma Louise star and he said that the week before his dad had done that he'd reached out to nick and said i'm really proud of you son i went like across the state line because there was no record stores where he was living in the mountains to buy the first caius album and nick said they found the caius tape in his car like when he'd done that and so you know you're reading stuff like this and you're like it's it's not the sort of stuff you usually hear about and read about you know and and i think it's it's great that you know, all these guests felt comfortable enough with me to share these these insights and, and you know, sometimes painful memories. But I think it's important to share them and talk about them. Uh, Steve-O talks about meeting Motley Crue as a kid on a lighter note. <laughs> yeah, dude. did. And he, he's, he goes into how he basically, I don't know whether you've heard that episode, but he as a kid decided he's going to meet That's Motley uh... Crue. And so he goes through the phone book in the entire metropolitan area of Toronto That's... where they're playing that night. And he knows that their manager is called Doc McGee. who's a famous rock and roll manager who managed Kiss and Bon Jovi and loads of bands around that time. And he basically called every single hotel in Toronto asking, is Doc McGee there? Is Doc McGee there? And he finally got patched through and Doc's brother, Scott, answered the phone and he was like, how the hell did you get this number, kid? And he's like, I called every hotel in the area. And the guy apparently then went from like angry to just totally impressed and was like, he'd never heard of that before. So he put Steve-O on the guest list with all access passes to the show and he got Got to meet Motley Crue, and then years later, when he was Jackass famous, got to introduce them and had a full circle moment. So there's beautiful stories like that. Um, there's loads of great New York stories from back in the day. New York for me in the sort of early '70s is one of my favourite periods and places in cultural history. From the you know the evolution of disco, hip hop, punk it's all there in one place happening at one time. And so there's a lot of cool like CBGB stories from people who were there then, Uh, people like Clem Burke from Blondie and CJ Ramone uh, and a guy called Tommy Victor, who's in a band called Prong. Don't know if you know them, but he was the sound engineer at CBGB in the 80s throughout the the hardcore matinee shows that they do on Sundays. And so he used to mix like Beastie Boys when they were a hardcore band back in the day. So loads of epic old school New York stories. There's some amazing... um, discussions on gender dysphoria as well from mina who i spoke about earlier and also laura-jane grace who i know you spoke to recently for your other podcast Mm -hmm. due so we get into a lot of of their experiences which again was it was amazing that they felt comfortable enough to share all that stuff with me and and we went deep into it, and that's all in the book. And then um, there's a lot of talk about sexism and feminism and the Me Too movement as well. With with two amazing ladies, one of them is Monique from Safe Ferris, who's going to be hosting the live stream show with me, and is my dear friend. And then the other is sadly a friend of mine who who died earlier this year, um, under really tragic circumstances. And and she was just a, a real light, like. A leading light for me and an inspirational lady that taught me a lot about how to treat women and you know how we should be behaving towards them as men and uh, and I dedicate the book to her and and she was a beautiful girl and a, and a great friend and it was a very sad and and horrible loss so it, it felt good to you know let her memory live on in these pages as well and you know not pay tribute because that sounds crass but you know just shine a light on the great work that she did for feminism and and all of that with her therapy work because she was a therapist. Amy Harwick was her name. So, yeah, there's loads of cool stuff in there. Um, Kyle Gass from Tenacious D is just the funniest guy ever as well. And, And him and Doug Stanhope, because they're both comedians, they come across so funny even on the page. And I think that's a real skill when you're transcribing interviews and there's no tone there. Yeah. You know, it's just the words and the presentation of those words in a certain order, and even in the written form, their sections are so funny. There's, like, laugh-out-loud moments from both of them. So, yeah, man, there's the full rainbow and mix of, of light and shade and heavy and heavy and light, and, yeah, man, I'm really happy with it, really proud it of it. It sounds and, incredible, um,
1: Absolutely. I,
3: I honestly can't wait to read it. I really can't.
4: You should be super proud, man. Cheers,
3: boys. It's
1: amazing. Number one.
4: So... There's kind of a reason why I chose this as number one. And it is an incredible story. It is an incredible story. But the reason I chose this as number one is because it's from the guy who wrote the foreword to the book. And I wanted to give him a very honorable mention and a huge shout out because he's been a a real champion of mine Um, Since I've known him And he's Jesse Mallon Is the name of the The person in question He is like a solo Singer songwriter now But he was in Hardcore bands Back in the day Uh, First of all A band called Heart Attack He was in when he was 12 years old He played his first gig At CBGB's When he was 12 uh, then he was in a band called Degeneration. They came over and toured with Green Day in the UK on the Nimrod album. If anyone saw them around then, they might have seen yeah. that band then. But Jesse's OG, man. He's like a made man in New York. A lot of people refer to him as the mayor of the Lower East Side. And he's, he's been doing loads of amazing live streams throughout lockdown. And every week he'll do one. And every week his guests will range from like Steve Buscemi and Matt Dillon and Jim Jarmusch to Stephen Van Zandt and Clem Burke and HR from Bad Brains and Debbie Harry and Keith Morris from Circle Jerks and Black Flag and, the list goes on and on and on. Billy Joe Armstrong is a big fan of Jesse and and I think really bases his kind of look, his whole look and appearance on Jesse, really. If you look at a picture of Billy Joe and you look at a picture of Jesse Mallon, you go, oh, I see where he's getting his fashion tips from. Uh, Bruce Springsteen is like a, a dear friend and a, a big fan of Jesse as well. So he runs in the greatest of circles yeah. and to have to have him, <coughs> in fact... Do this as a Google image. Google Jesse Mallon, Shane McGowan's I think fiftieth birthday. Fifty sounds wrong because he looks so much older, but I, it it might be sixtieth. And there's this picture from this recent birthday of Shane McGowan, right? Shane's in a wheelchair now because he's not very well, but this lineup of people, right, is Johnny Depp, uh, Bono, Bobby Gillespie. Um, I can't even remember who else. Nick Cave. Basically, like every legend it's you an can imagine. and. photograph
3: i have seen it, you know what I mean? I'm looking at it now, it's it is great. Fucking and hell. Jesse's
4: just there with them all because he belongs with them all because he's that much of an icon. Even though he's not as internationally renowned and world famous, he is such an OG. And so to get him as the guy to write my foreword was such a coup. And, and what he wrote was so complimentary and amazing. And that's the first thing that you read when you open the book is the foreword from him. And he really sets the tone And he really establishes the whole context and content of what's to follow. Um, So this is, I think, and this story is just amazing. So after we do this podcast, go and watch the music video for Joe Strummer and his cover of Redemption Song by Bob Marley. Uh, And this story is basically the story of that music video. And you'll hear this story. And then when you watch the music video as well, It really brings the story to light in a beautiful way. But this is in the heroes, heroes chapter. So this is basically the chapter where all the guests talk about their heroes and their inspirations. So it starts off by me saying, uh, Jesse, tell me the story behind the Joe Strummer mural that you had painted outside your bar in New York. And you'll probably be familiar with this image. It's the kind of reggae flag, red, yellow, green, Jamaican colored graffiti, like rattle spray paint illustration of joe strummer and it says no your rights the future's unwritten it's this famous spot in new york where everybody goes to have their picture taken and that's actually on the wall outside jesse's bar so this is the story of that mural uh, Jesse, I used some of the money that I got from a record label at Vance back in the day to open up a bar with a couple of musician friends of mine. I wanted to have a little corner spot like some kind of Frank Sinatra fantasy where I could hang out with my friends, listen to good music and basically just shoot the shit when I wasn't on tour. And that Frank Sinatra fantasy bar became Niagara, which is located on 7th Street and Avenue A in the East Village. Whenever I travel, I always want to go out to a bar after a show if I have time. I want to hear a DJ spin records or talk to some folks just to get a flavor of the town. And as much as I've seen alcohol ruin a lot of good people, I like bars and I believe they hold an important place in our society. They're like churches to me. They're communal. And whenever I travel around on tour, I get hooked up with free drinks and stuff like that. So we had a policy at Niagara. If you're a touring artist, come to the bar, bring your road crew and we'll take care of you. That led to a lot of bands stopping there, and Joe Strummer came by after the first Mescalero show in New York at the Irving Plaza. A few hundred people followed him that night, including Shane McGowan, and it was a wild evening. Joe came by a couple of times after that too, and people kind of connected that place with him. The last time I saw Joe was in November in 2002 at the Cedar Tavern, which was the old beatnik kind of hangout place where K- Ginsberg, Kerouac, and those guys used to hang around in the East Village, uh, in the Greenwich Village, I'm sorry. I was about to head out on tour with Ryan Adams, and I wanted Ryan to meet Joe, so we swung by there to meet him. And there's a bunch of photos from that that night that Bob Gruen took. Josh Truce was also there, who we'll get to in a bit, but that would be the last time that I saw Joe. He passed away on December 22nd, 2002, and throughout the Christmas period, fans and people who loved Joe started putting flowers and candles outside the wall of Niagara. I think they just needed somewhere to show their love and give their condolences, so that was that. A little time had passed, and Josh Truce, who was a friend of Joe's and did all the covers for many Mescalero's records and every Jesse Malin and D Generation album cover for a while, was getting ready to shoot a video for Joe's last single, which was his cover of Redemption Song by Bob Marley. Now, in the neighborhood where Niagara is based, the Latino community have this tradition where if someone in their family or someone that they love passes away, they have an artist do a rattle can spray paint mural of them. And it's just a beautiful way to celebrate their life. So Josh had this idea. Let's take that side of Niagara and get Dr. Revolt and Zephyr, who are great graffiti artists and friends, to paint Joe's mural. And then we can have a street party carnival in memorial of him. And that'll be the video for the song. So that's what we did, and Josh filmed the whole thing. I came by, put some flowers down, Jim Jarmouche came by, the guys in Rancid came by, Steve Bashimi and a bunch of other people who all knew Joe came by too. Fans and people on the street all got involved as well, and it was this whole magical thing. And then after we got done shooting, someone said, why don't you just keep the picture of Joe up? So we did, and that's the story behind the Joe Strummer mural. It's still there now. People still come by and take about 100 photos a day.
1: That's amazing. How that cool is that? matt
4: and just a heartwarming cool little fucking tale isn't it and you know joe strummer as i'm sure for you guys is a huge hero for me and that image and that wall is obviously such an iconic spot in new york and to get the full inside story from the guy that made that happen you know because that's a worldwide thing that is you could go on instagram and type in that mural and there's going to be thousands upon thousands of photos and to have the dude at ground zero that Created that moment and is now enjoyed by Clash fans all over the world. You know that's legendary legacy shit, yeah. and it's on on paper in my book. And I'm super super oh, Matt, super proud sh- of that. You
3: absolutely should be. You've absolutely you, you've submerged yourself in so much amazing cultural history, absolutely, music man. and other creatives, mate. I sometimes wonder if us doing top fives on sandwich fillings really. <laughs> Really quite covers the the
4: Do you you guys are doing important work. This is important work and people need it in their lives. Never short sell yourselves.
3: (laughs) Mate, what a story.
4: Right, and sorry if I stumbled in a couple of places. With the longer ones, you you kind of go, oh god, you know, you are looking at it. Like there is a lot to read here, but I needed to get the whole thing in. But so good, But mate. yeah, thanks for letting me do some live readings. As well, hopefully they didn't send anyone. No, to no, no. I don't. Brilliant.
1: No, I, it's, good. I, I don't think there'll be an audio book.
4: I... People have been asking me, but I think to make an audio book of a podcast seems silly. So yeah. the book will exist in written form. The podcast will exist in audio form, and and please check I, out I, the, I, the pair I of them. I
1: think it's inspiring that. Um, Firstly, I mean, if we're going to speak about inspiring, your podcast inspired me to do my podcast. Um, wow! Uh, I know, never knew I, that. That's I, amazing. You know, I, I phoned you up and said, Matt Stocks, I have just listened to you interview John Lydon, uh, and I think it's one of the greatest interviews I've ever heard. Uh, and I just had to phone you up and tell you because it, it like, I, it, I remember it, it, it yeah. blew me away. Um, uh, 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 just how good you were. Uh, uh, interviewing musicians and, yeah, and and, and absolutely inspired me. Uh, And and, and secondly...
4: Thank you, mate. That means a uh,
1: lot. And and secondly, to to then, you know, look at the kind of format that we're all, you know, involved in, which is podcasting, and, and seeing how it can evolve and finding ourselves in a year where you know, we've spoke a lot about punk where we've had to rethink everybody and go back to the kind of punk ethos of like, right, I've got limited resources now, what can I do? And you can spin that and write and publish a book is really fucking impressive. And, and yeah, absolute hats off to you, mate. Like really, really impressive what you've done.
3: I'd, Thank yeah, you, boys. I'd like to have been in the, a fly on the wall of your creative process yourself, writing that, mate. I think that would have been uh, quite a lot of fun to watch.
4: it saved my life man it really really did although i was you know i was living that kind of crazy hunter s thompson mythology out it also really did save me from the abyss of boredom and and doom and gloom and you know this year has been so hard for so many reasons on so many people and i was so fortunate and and lucky to have this project to keep me on track and uh and it's hopefully going to be the first of many more it's volume one uh volume two will also be US and Canadian guests, and then I think what I'd like to do for the third instalment is call it a different thing, it'll be a whole different sort of series entirely. Maybe, never mind the bollocks, here's the interviews, and I'll play on the kind of Sex Pistols album cover imagery. And then that will be all the UK guests, so that will be the likes of John Lydon, Sean Ryder, Alan McGee, Stephen Graham. James Lavelle Dom Jolly et etc et etc et etc uh, and and that 's something I really look forward to doing down the line is is more volumes basically because I think the as long as people buy it and and they enjoy the format, then I think it's kind of limitless really as to how many I could do um, but we'll see we'll see, but yeah, that is the goal is to roll out multiple volumes and and make them really documents not just of these individuals and their individual life stories but on a broader cultural sense as you just said, Chris, a minute ago, like cultural documents of the road less traveled, like a lot of the guests that are in this book, although they're attached to or involved with or work with huge stars... Many of these guys are maybe second tier, if you will, in terms of fame and popularity. So a lot of them probably won't have their own biographies or documentaries or things like this. So it's really cool for me to be able to get these stories down, both you know, in audio form on the podcast and in written form in the book and let them live in the world and let people find out, oh, wow, that's the story behind that Joe Strummer thing. And oh, fucking hell, that's what went down with this album and, and things like this. It's kind of the... Um, you know, the tier below the tier, if that makes sense. They're the guys behind the guys.
3: But often they're the more fascinating stories. A hundred percent. Exactly.
4: Well, their experiences are the same, aren't they? And they're perhaps just a little bit more freed of the, um, the I don't know, the constraints and the pressures yeah. of being in the spotlight. So they can perhaps be a little bit more honest. I don't know, fearless with their, with their truth telling. But yeah, man, um, thank you as always, boys, for uh, all your support. Mm-hmm. And it's always a pleasure hanging out. And if out, people want to buy it. the book. People want to buy the book. They'll find it hopefully in Waterstones very, very soon, but um, they can get it from any good like online book retailer, Amazon being the top one, I guess. And uh, if you're in the UK, maybe not. I know a lot of people have been put off by the shipping cost because Amazon is free. Um, but if you did want to get signed copies for whatever reason, if my signature means anything, uh, you can do so from the RareBird website, which is rarebirdlit.com. But the only problem with that is you have to pay shipping fees from America. But if you're listening to this from America... By all means, buy it from the Rare Bird website because then you can see all the other titles which they've got on sale as well. But yeah, Amazon would probably be the one for all UK listeners. December 15 is the release date. I'll be doing the the launch show, as I said, from birminghamstreams.co.uk that night. And yeah, please give me a follow on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Matt Stocks DJ, and check out the podcast, Life in the Stocks, wherever you get them. Matt. If you want.
3: Thank you so much for coming on and just being your wonderful, interesting, creative, culturally immersed self. And I guess the only thing to say now is um, next week we'll be doing top five babies with big dicks. So see you next week, guys.
1: (laughs)
4: Thanks, buddy. I love you boys. That, That was great.
1: Chris and I want to tell you all about our Patreon page. It won't take long, but we think you're going to want to hear it. Cause you're missing out. Quite frankly, all the more risque stuff that we
3: sometimes think, oh, can we get away with that? Uh, We put it on our Patreon pages and there's over 150 episodes uh, for our $10 subscribers.
1: Absolutely. So for whatever that works out in UK pounds, what's that about £7.50 a month? Yeah,
3: for for the price of a bag of chips for a Savaloy and chips, you can actually have us in your ears. Four times extra a month.
1: That's four episodes minimum that we put out um, exclusively for Patreons. Plus, um, there's loads of. We video most of our episodes now and the videos. You can watch all of the podcasts now over on Patreon as well. Um, we put up loads of other unique content over there. Yeah, don't there's, we? There's,
3: there's pictures there. It's basically our version of our OnlyFans account, isn't it? Basically. So you, you, exactly. you get the sort of pictures on there of, of the behind the scenes of Stew tucking into a pot noodle, basically. Sort of stuff you, that shouldn't be available to the
1: public no one needs to see that but that's all we just thought we'd give you a quick heads up that if you're enjoying these podcasts then be aware for like £7.50 you can go and listen to over 150 exclusive episodes and there's some great ones over there with previous guests as well um, loads of names that you're going to recognise if you've been listening to, to the, 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 the weekly podcast we put out
3: and yeah, and also if you are a subscriber we're more than likely to do one of your top fives if you recommend it because we prioritise the patrons first don't we as well
1: Absolutely, yeah. So we, we we try and sort of do as many top five suggested by you lot as well. So uh, yeah, head over to Patreon. Where can they find out about it, Chris? Uh,
3: Patreon dot com forward slash Hardcore Listing, easy peasy. And you can watch an intro video there as well of us in jacuzzis and doing sexy stuff
1: with Gal Porter.
3: With Gal Porter, not doing sexy stuff with Gal Porter. Can I just clear clear that up, Gal? <laughs> not trying to drag your name through <laughs> the mud.
1: And Scroobius Pip. Yeah. <laughs> All right. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Hardcore Listing. It's a drunken soiree in the within. and Joe present Hardcore Listing, the podcast.
2: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta Street Party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.